0: Good morning. It is so great to be with you all this morning. Um, come back as many of you know i 've been on the frontier of Somerville um, we are, are, are praying through and, and, and working towards planning a church and with a, um, a great team of people sort of praying together what does what does a church plant look like um, and we are excited to sort of um, to, to see that coming together, and, and you'll be able to hear more about that in, in the um, days and weeks to come. So keep an eye out on that, out for that. Um, but the other thing I've been doing, um, as many of you know, is I've been working on a, a big paper um, for uh, for a second master's degree I'm working on, and it just so has it that this paper is on Isaiah, and our reading is on Isaiah, and so I have a lot of stuff to share with y'all today. It shouldn't be more than a few hours. Um, just kidding. I will distill it. Um, but that is true, by the way. This is what I'm working on. and It's really neat to, to see it now come up and to actually put it to use. And so um, here on this fifth Sunday of Lent, what we're going to be doing is taking a look at Isaiah 43. Um, and I'm going to need you, it will encourage me, if you could follow along, uh, we're going to begin it verse 16. That's where our reading began. But we're also going to read a little bit beyond it to get a a fuller picture of where we are and what's going on. So if you have your Bibles or if you have a Bible app on your phone, by all means pull it up. We're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 43 beginning at verse 16. And what we're going to to see then in this passage is three things. um, Three things in this passage. And the first is we're going to see A holy and faithful God. Isaiah is going to show us a picture, or God through Isaiah is going to show us a picture of his holiness and his faithfulness. God is also going to show us a picture of a sinful and rebellious people. So we have a holy and faithful God, a sinful and rebellious people, and then finally God will show us his radical and generous grace. Holy and faithful God, a sinful and rebellious people, and a radically generous grace. So let's um, let's look now at Isaiah 43, and we will begin right here in verses 16 and 17. We open up with that um, great saying, it's in many of the prophets, and especially in Isaiah, um, Thus saith the Lord, right? Thus says the Lord, is what is happening here in Isaiah 43, 16. God is about to speak. He's about to speak. What you're about to hear comes from God Himself. And it's important that we pay attention. Except what is interesting here is is Isaiah, or God doesn't jump in now to what He has to say. He wants to remind us first of who He is. It's almost like saying, why should we listen in the first place? Thus says the Lord, well, what Lord? What is He saying? Who is He? I mean, why should we listen to these words that He has to say? And so before we hear what God says, we see who God is. And in this passage, God is reminding us of what He's done for Israel. Thus says the Lord, the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, the Lord who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, that they lie down, that they cannot, be, cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. This is the God who's speaking. It should remind you of an event, right, in Israel's history. This is the God that delivered Israel through the Red Sea and eventually into the Promised Land. That's what you're supposed to Remember? Do you remember that story, the story of the Exodus? The Israelites, right, where were they? They were in Egypt. They'd been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. And God raises up Moses to go and rescue his people. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And then Moses says it again and again. And many plagues come on Egypt, and every time Pharaoh says, no, no, I will not let your people go. And then finally, the last plague, God sends um, the angel of death to bring his judgment on sinful Egypt. And the firstborn son of every living creature falls under the judgment of God. And that includes Pharaoh's own son. And finally, Pharaoh says, Get out. Get your people out of my land. Get your God out of my land. Get out. And so Moses leads the Israelites away. Remember, they've been spared. They had been spared the angel of death. They, they had their final um, meal in Egypt. They called it the Passover meal, the same meal that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples right before he died. They, they, they took the blood of the lamb they killed and they put it on the doorpost and the angel of death passed right over their homes. They were spared and now Pharaoh was sending them away. And so Moses leads them out. He leads them out. And so they're heading through the desert to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh has a change of heart. He realizes he doesn't want them to leave. And so he mounts up his horses, he calls up his chariots, he sends out his army, and they are chasing the Israelites through the desert to the banks of the Red Sea. The Israelites get to this vast sea, and they they stop, and they can't go any farther, and they turn around, and, and their enemies are behind them. The sea is before them, their enemies are behind them, they are surely going to die. And then God acts, doesn't He? He acts in amazing ways. The seas, they're parted. The Israelites walk through on dry ground to the other side. Do you see that in our scripture this morning? The Lord who makes a way in the sea, who makes a path in the mighty waters. And they make it through. And the Egyptians get there and they see a path. And so they go in. God calls forth the chariot and the horse and the army and the warrior, and the waves come crashing down, right? They lie down. They cannot rise. The chariot and horse and army and warrior, they cannot rise. They are extinguished and quenched like a wick. And God's people are saved. They're saved. That is the God who is speaking now. Thus says the Lord, the one who saved you from slavery in Egypt, the one who miraculously delivered you at the Red Seas, I parted the sea for you, God says. And I have something to say. Of course, that wasn't the last time God rescued His people. All throughout the Old Testament, God is rescuing His people. They're falling into sin. They're falling into oppression and God comes and He saves them time and time and time again. Even within the book of Isaiah, we see King Ahaz, despite his rebellion and, and the people of Israel, despite their rebellion, they're saved from an alliance of Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel. Or even Hezekiah, who by all accounts was a very good king, he still turns from God. And Hezekiah And his people, despite the fact that they've turned from God, they're saved by these vicious Assyrian armies that have already um, wiped off the face of the earth, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. And yet Judah remains. And even after they're conquered by the Babylonians and and brought into exile, that's what our psalm is talking about, on on the banks of the Negev. Even then... God raises up a pagan king, Cyrus, to conquer the Babylonians and to send God's people, the Israelites, back to Jerusalem and Israel. Even out of exile, He will save His people. This is a God of redemption and salvation who does great things for His people. And the words that He speaks and is about to say are trustworthy and true. Can you trust what God has to say to you? Have you experienced that redemption in times of hardship? Can you believe that he might have a word for us this morning that is trustworthy and true? He's a holy and faithful God. The problem is, Israel and us as well, we are a sinful and rebellious people. So let's um, skip ahead just a little bit. Before we hear what God has to say, let's see who He's speaking to. Um, Look at verses 22 and following. You did not call upon me, O Jacob. You have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honor me with your sacrifices. No, I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins and you have wearied me with your iniquities. This is the whole problem in Isaiah. Is that despite the fact that God continues to rescue Israel, they continue to ignore him. They're referred to as deaf and blind. They're not offering him worship and thanksgiving. They instead are burdening him with their sins. They have wearied him with their inequities. This is an unfaithful people. They have not changed despite. God's rescue time and time again. They continue to fall short. Once they were rescued from Egypt, they were given the law, and God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I am raising you up to be a, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. You, Israel, will be priests who mediate between me and the nations. You will be a light to them. They will see my glory. They will see my honor. They will see my faithfulness. What do you think the nations are seeing when they look at Israel? What do you think it says about their God? Have you ever bring your kids out to a restaurant? (laughs) Right? You know what that's like. And and, and, and in my most sinful moments, I'm really thinking like, what are these people going to think of me? (laughs) What will the nations think of a God whose people is behaving the way Israel is behaving. God's glory is being obscured. His name is being profaned. Even the priests, even the ones who would mediate between God and His people, they have defamed the name of God. And So by the time we get to verse 28, we have judgments. I will profane the princes of the sanctuary, God says. I will deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel To reviling. The problem with our sin isn't just that we broke some sort of divine rule, it's that we have failed to show God's glory and honor and who He really is, who the essence of His character is. How many times do we hear people say something along the lines of, I like your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians? Too often we misrepresent God. We're a sinful people. Now often that misrepresentation is a distortion of who Jesus is. But if we think in our own lives, how many times have we fallen short? How many times have we misrepresented God to those around us? How many times have we failed to live up to His holiness and righteousness? The answer is every day, all the time. And the consequence for that is it's judgment. It's judgment. Deliver Jacob to utter destruction in Israel, to reviling. It's separation from God. It's the consequence of our sinfulness. And so we have here in Isaiah this holy and faithful God speaking to a sinful and rebellious people who are both blind and deaf. What does he have to say? Let's go back now to verse 18. Thus says the Lord, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This is a God who will make a way. And what do we see? What, is, what happens when he makes this way? Verse 20. Even the wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I give drink to my chosen people. Verse 21. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. God will make a way, even in the wilderness, even when things are most desolate, even when it seems like there is no way, we are too far gone, we're too sinful, too rebellious. God says, I will make a way that you might declare my praise. I will make a way that even this whole broken creation will be redeemed. Even the jackals and the ostriches and the beasts of the wild, they will praise my name. Because I will make a way. God says, I am doing a new thing. What is this new thing in Isaiah that God is doing? Well, as we read through these these latter chapters of Isaiah, what we realize is there's this figure, this person called the servant. And he starts to stand out. And at first, we think, oh, well, God is is taking Israel and he's finally making them into his servant. But then we realize that, that, that Israel and the servant are different. And actually, the servant is one person. And this servant we see is doing the things that Israel could not do. He's obedient, he's faithful, he's a light to the nations. We realize that this servant is making a way. And then we realize that he made the way by going to a cross. And so we get to Isaiah 53 and we realize that he was stricken for our sake. That he gave his life for our iniquities. That he died for our sins. The new Way, the new thing God is doing is He's working through His servant. He's sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, to take that burden, to take that judgment, to receive that penalty for sins that we deserve. He's he's raising up a true and faithful Israel to receive judgment that us, as sinful and rebellious people, might have new life, that we might be redeemed. The servant is our substitute. Do you see that? He is our substitute, taking our punishment and giving us His salvation. That's the new way. It's no longer dependent on us sort of living out some part of the deal or some part of the bargain. And and in reality, it never was that way. It was always God's grace first. God's grace always preceded the law. It always preceded any works, anything that He had for us. God says, I saved you, therefore be my people. And yet we failed. And so he does a new thing. He saves us once and for all through his son, Jesus. And what is the consequence of that? Well, we see it there in verse 25. I am he, God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I don't forgive your sins because you're especially holy or you're especially righteous or you're especially faithful. I don't forgive your sins because you worked really hard at the tea room. I don't forgive your sins because you made good grades or you were a, a, a good player on your sports team. I don't forgive your sins because you've raised healthy children or, or because you're a good grandparent. I don't forgive your sins because you've planted a church. I don't forgive your sins because of any of that. I do it for my sake. That I may draw my people to myself. I do it for my sake that my name would be glorified among the nations. I will not remember your sins, God says. Friends, we will all stand before God in judgment. But for those of us who know the servant of the Lord... For those of us who know Jesus Christ, God will not remember our sins. On that great and faithful day, he will only see Jesus, his perfect obedience. And he will say, welcome to my kingdom. Friends, that is our hope, but it's not just some distant future hope. It is a hope that transforms who we are today. And so as we barrel headlong into Good Friday and praise God Easter Sunday, may this future hope be present in our lives now. May we live as a people with hope, a people with faith, a people who have been redeemed so that our words and our actions would reflect the servant of God and that the nations would come to know the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you have done a new thing through your servant, Jesus Christ, your Son, who is our Lord and our Savior. Lord, may we drop our striving and our yearning, trying to earn favor in your sight. Instead, Lord, may we stand at the foot of your cross. May we receive the grace and forgiveness that only Jesus can give us. May we be welcomed into your kingdom and may we live today as citizens of your kingdom, which we already are. And in doing so, may we proclaim Jesus to the nations. We ask this in his holy and precious name. Amen.